0: Arlene and I are are pleased to join you this morning in worship, and I am particularly uh, humbled by the grace of God to share the gospel message with you this morning. Uh, A few years ago, Arlene and I could not have predicted that I would be in a place that I'm at today. I'm a student at uh, Virginia Beach Theological Seminary, going to class with guys that are, um, let's just say they're a lot younger than I am. I just turned 65 last month and I'm attending class with guys that are in their 20s and 30s. Uh, And it's a blessing to me because of their commitment and their dedication to the Lord. And uh, they are, uh, they're committed and it's a challenge for me to keep up with them, and so it's, uh, it's a blessing. But uh, you sang a song, you, you, there's a song in your hymnal uh, that I recall singing a long time ago. Uh, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. You've sung that song, I'm sure. It's in your hymnal. And the words are very true and poignant for me because I was sinking deep. And God, by his grace, and a wife that was praying, uh, God brought me to my senses. And I thank him for that, by his grace. We're going to read this morning from a book that um, I'm not sure that you've ever heard a sermon from. We'll see. But this morning we'll be looking at an account in Scripture that is on par with uh, the memorable narratives of Scripture. Uh, You'll recall in, in Genesis chapter 32, the meeting between Jacob and Esau. There was bad blood between these two brothers, probably with good reason and as uh, jacob was returning to the land uh, he knew he was going to encounter esau at some point and he did and as he saw esau approaching with 400 of his troops with him jacob bowed seven times as Esau approached in a in a uh, posture of humility. And when Esau ran up to him, he he ran to meet him and he embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. It had to be a, a moving scene. And you'll also recall in Genesis chapter 45, when Joseph makes known his identity to his unsuspecting brothers they didn't, know who he, they didn't know who they were dealing with. They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him. They certainly didn't think it was the, is the same guy that they had cast into the cistern, left for dead, and sold into slavery. But Joseph acknowledged uh, them and revealed himself to them. And, and they, they wept. It was such a moving scene. And Joseph acknowledged the plan and purpose of God, holding no contempt for his brothers. He certainly had reason to, but he had no contempt for them. In verses 7 and 8 of that chapter, God sent me, Joseph says, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God." So what does this say about about who God is? He's a God that has a plan and a purpose for his honor and for his glory. It speaks about the sovereignty of God. That he's not a capricious actor, but, a loving and per- but has a loving and purposeful plan for our lives. The epistle we read this morning teems with life, as every scripture does. Second Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the book that we're going to read, and we're gonna read the whole book, is uh, on par with these biblical examples, because it speaks to the relationship that we have with others. And I think it speaks of our relationship with God as well, undergirded by the grace of God. So if you will, turn with me to the book of Philemon. It's in the New Testament, I'm sure you knew that. And we're gonna read the, all of the 25 verses that are in Philemon. So if you'll follow along with me, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the house in thy church, grace to you and peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all his saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have a great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged and now as also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind I would do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him ever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord, if thou count me, therefore, a partner receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Themis, Lucas, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we recognize that you are God, that you are above all things, that you have created all things seen and unseen, that you are sovereign over all things. We pray, Lord, this morning as we gather together to hear your word that you will speak to our hearts that your word as promised does not return unto you void but it accomplishes that which you please. So we pray, Lord, that our hearts will be opened to receive your word and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Paul's letter to Philemon is typically not the top echelon of quoted, or memorized, or s- cited scripture verses. Uh, at Colonial, where Arlene and I attend, when we have baptismal services, the pastor usually asks people, "What is your favorite scripture verse?" And they'll say Galatians 2:20. They'll say John 3:16. They'll say all of the kind of the ones that people are accustomed to. I've never heard anybody quote from Philemon, never. But this letter, um, if you're one of those people that has a good habit of reading the Bible through in a year, you'll at least read it once a year. But it's akin, however, to all of scripture. that the message is timeless powerful and poignant philemon is in the bible for a reason and i'm going to give you a spoiler alert the focus of this brief epistle commonly thought of as reconciliation between two people uh, i think it has a deeper meaning than that uh, to achieve a sense of peace and resolution of a dispute of an offense between two folks, forgiveness must have happened. Forgiveness and pardon are prerequisites. Any illustration, and I tried to find an illustration of reconciliation, but I thought there there is no greater illustration of a reconciliation and peace than our own lives. You think about where you have come from. I think about where I have come from. And the greatest illustration of reconciliation is what Jesus has done for me. The greatest example of reconciliation is what Christ has done in my life that could not have been achieved by any other means. So that's the illustration that we have. Uh, Peace was made through the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. And we are at peace with God. We have been reconciled to God, excuse me, to God, at the right time, and I'll say not in the nick of time, but at the right time, at God's time, we were saved. Now on to Philemon. The intrigue of the letter the letter involves a runaway slave, Onesimus, and you see that in verses 10 and 16. He's the property of Philemon the letter, the, the, letter that Paul, uh, the person that Paul addresses the letter to, but it's addressed to other folks as well, Aphia and Aristarchus. We're uncertain about what their relationship was, we can only speculate, but they were Christians, they were people that were influential in the church, no doubt, and the church in Philemon's house was also addressed. And despite the communal greeting and address, this is a very personal letter, and you'll observe that in throughout the letter, first-person pronouns are used. I, thee. Paul is addressing Philemon directly throughout the letter. And he points to Philemon's love and faith which thou hast. In verse 6, he says, The communication of thy faith, the consolation of thy love, I beseech thee, and so on. He goes on. He points out the the aspects of Philemon's character of his his life, that this guy's someone you want in your congregation. This guy loves people. He's kind to people. He has a great testimony. He's the ideal church member. Paul highlights Philemon's virtuous testimony. Another observation, which may be obvious or maybe not so much, is uh, that Philemon's and Onesimus's home is located in the town of Colossae. Doesn't say that in Philemon necessarily, but when we look at the book of uh, Colossians, there's convincing evidence that uh, this epistle was written to Philemon who lived in Colossae. It closely parallels uh, Colossians. Closely parallels Philemon, both written about the same time, Paul's imprisonment in Rome in around sixty to sixty-two A.D. Archippus is mentioned, uh, and in Colossians four seventeen, he's mentioned also there, and also is Onesimus in Colossians four nine. Why do I get into the location of this letter? Because I think it plays an important part in this whole narrative of what happened between Onesimus and Philemon. Colossae is in the region of Phrygia, in the Lycus Valley. Doesn't mean much to us today, it's modern Turkey. Colossae is proximal to Hierapolis and La- Laodicea. Those names may, may come familiar, uh, sound familiar, because they're written in, in um, the Book of Acts. Paul is placed proximal to these locations as he goes on one of his missionary journeys. Uh, First, Philemon is probably not the lone believer or slave owner. Likely, there are believers who have slaves. I know that's a touchy subject for us in the United States, but uh, the fact of the matter is he was a slave owner and probably not the only one in the church. And it's likely that there were slaves that were also congregants in the church uh, and these people are not a cloistered community they lived in a place that was a colosse, a small city and uh, known to the community philemon was uh, a man of some influence it sounded like he had a bit of financial backing behind him so uh this is the area that they were living in. You talk about uh, testimony, you talk about uh, a, a, uh, uh, being out front, uh, being uh, in a place, a workplace, and, and uh, people identifying you with Christ. Well, I think here as well, they were identified with Jesus Christ and being in a small town uh, of Colossae, uh, they knew what was going on with Philemon they probably knew Onesimus had, had left. The word uh, is probably spread around that Onesimus is gone. And I think that places Philemon in a bit of a sticky position. Approximately 30% of the population in a uh, Roman Empire was made of slaves. So it's very likely that in Colossae, that 30% or at least 30% of the population was made of slaves, which means that there were a lot of them. And even in that in in Roman times, there was uh, a law that said that the slave owner could do what he wanted to the slave, particularly those that had run away, they could kill them. This is uh, what Philemon was faced with as well. Onesimus is on the run. And uh, what makes this location more interesting, Colossae, is that uh, Rome is about, well, just over a thousand miles away from Colossae. That's where Paul wrote this letter from, Rome. So you think of the first century transportation system they didn't they had roads but uh it took a while to go 1000 miles a runaway slave from colosse to rome it adds a bit of the intrigue to this uh, to this whole narrative to this whole story so how does this relate to the book of philemon well it's costing philemon an awful lot of money to have Onesimus on the run. He's suffering some financial losses. If, and Paul says this, if he has wronged thee in any way or oweth thee aught, put that on my account, verse 18, what we read. These factors influence the theme of the letter, pardon and forgiveness, a reconciliation between two parties. Two more observations here. Philemon has suffered some loss as a result of Onesimus' conduct, and is therefore within his legal right to, uh, to exact punishment. There is a poignant message here that Paul is delivering though, is that he's not seeking freedom. He's not asking Philemon to free Onesimus. He's asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus. He's asking him to wipe the slate clean of his offense. The observation here is um, if you look down towards the end of the book of Philemon Paul mentions a man. He mentions a few of them but he mentions one in particular, Marcus. This is the same Marcus, and it comes out of Colossians 4.10. It says that Marcus is Barnabas's cousin. Does that ring any bells? If you recall in the book of Acts, when Paul and Barnabas were on their missionary journey, they had a companion with them whose name was Marcus. And what did Marcus do? He left them, and he went on his way. And the relationship between Barnabas and Paul was soured a bit, and so they parted ways as well. And here is the same guy with Paul in Rome. So what Paul is asking Philemon to do is not something that he hasn't done himself. He's forgiven Marcus. He's taken him in to his ministry. He's allowed him now to accompany him. So what Paul is doing here, he's uh, asking Philemon to do something uh, that I think is characteristic of our walk with Christ. Forgiveness and reconciliation are demanded as followers of Jesus Christ. You recall in Matthew, Chapter 18, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And he probably said that with a bit of a puffed out chest, thinking seven times, that's a lot of time to forgive my brother's wrongs. And what does Jesus say? Until 70 times seven. Talk about your balloon being deflated We're reminded that we were once enslaved. We're alienated and enemies because of the wicked works that we were doing and yet we are now reconciled. And that's from Colossians 1.21. That we have been reconciled to Jesus Christ. We have been reconciled to God. And this is not precipitated or originated by any action initiated by us remember we were alienated and enemies but jesus having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things to himself oh happy day (laughs) do you recall that day oh happy day when jesus washed my sins away oh happy day Paul is presenting Onesimus as a brother in Christ. And this is such a moving story. Colossians 4 9, it says that a faithful and beloved brother, that's what he calls Onesimus, Paul does, now a servant, but above a servant, not now a servant, but above a servant, a beloved brother. So this is an intriguing scene. And I think that we can see this in this book of Philemon and and even using Colossians as background. It's an intriguing scene because the possibility exists that Onesimus delivered this letter written by Paul to Philemon and the Colossian church in with another man whose name was Tisichus. in colossians 4 7 to 9 it says all my state shall Tisichus declare to you with onesimus a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you so i can imagine onesimus remember i started out with recalling the scene between jacob and esau and Joseph and his brothers and now we have a scene reminiscent of that is that Onesimus is standing before Philemon with Tychicus handing him the letter and I can only imagine the posture of Onesimus now a saved man now a man that has been brought to faith in Jesus Christ standing before his owner if you will with head bowed and eyes closed as this letter is read. Remember too, and we read this in verse 1, that Paul is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. The opening of this letter in Philemon is unique than any other epistle that Paul wrote. If you look back in some of the epistles that Paul wrote, he never opens with this line, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. If you received a letter from somebody, and they said that they were a prisoner somewhere in Sing Sing, it would kind of leave a, probably a sour taste in your mouth. Well, here Paul announces that I'm a prisoner, not of the Romans, but of Jesus Christ an opening that is unique there's no mystery that this guy's in jail he seems to have spent a lot of time in jail it's not the greatest opening but this letter from Phile- uh, to Philemon was also part of the corpus that's called the prison epistles and that's uh, Philippians Ephesians and Colossians also falls in that category it's quite a turn of event for a man that uh, that worked uh, to imprison believers at one time in acts chapter three it says that but saul began ravaging the church entering house after house and dragging off men and women he would put them in prison and now he finds himself there a prisoner of jesus christ no longer an enemy of the church of god now a prisoner of christ an encounter with jesus christ changes people folks an encounter with Jesus Christ changes people. That's our testimony. We have been changed by Jesus Christ. We talk about hope, we sang about that just a little while ago. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go anymore. A change has come over my life to the glory of God, and while Paul's Paul's imprisonment to the ordinary person doesn't immediately win any credibility, except that there are verses that further explain the circumstances and sets the course for the rest of the letter. He's in jail. I told you before that Onesimus left Colossae and went to Rome. How did he find Paul in Rome? Why did he even head towards Rome? I don't think the verses that we read explain that, nor does the book of Colossians or any other in the New Testament. But I've got a theory. That somehow Onesimus finds the imprisoned Paul. Why? How? But I think they're apparent retrospectively. When we think of our own lives as well. What drove this runaway slave to search out Paul? The Holy Spirit. (laughs) How did Onesimus find Paul? God made a way. Why did all this occur? Onesimus came to faith by a graceful and merciful and loving God. The sweetness of his ministry to Paul tempts Paul to retain him and keep him with him, but he does the right thing and sends him back to Philemon. You get the point here? That God has a plan. That God has a plan. Joseph was sold into slavery, ended up in Potiphar's house in Egypt, endured his own imprisonment, was taken out of prison, and was placed second in command in the country of Egypt. God had a plan. And then when the brothers show up, The plan was set in place, God has a plan. And regardless of what the situation may look like, regardless of how dire things may appear, God has a plan. So Onesimus travels over 1,000 miles, ends up in, in, where Paul was found in a prison, imprisoned by the Romans, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and you're thinking, how will, how does all this stuff fit together? Is that God has a plan for us? That Onesimus was saved. Why was Paul in jail? Well, maybe because Onesimus needed salvation. You recall the Macedonian, uh, the Macedonian vision that Paul had. He fell asleep. He had a vision of a Macedonian man saying, "Come over to Macedonia and help us." He was in Asia at the time. Gets up the next morning, said to his guys, hey, we're going to Macedonia. Who? What? Where? Why? So they go to Macedonia. They end up in Philippi. And so what happens in Philippi? Now, you know, a lot of people say, well, I had a dream. Or I felt a, a, this, uh, to do this thing. Paul was uh, kind of in the same situation with his, with his compatriots, with, with, with those that were with him, his traveling companions and now he ends up in a Philippian jail what kind of credibility does that win Paul I thought you had a dream I thought this is where we were supposed to be I thought this is where God was was sending us and now we're in prison not just in prison but they were in the middle of the prison in the really bad place hmm. what was the outcome of that the philippian jailer says what must i do to be saved him and his whole household were saved talk about a plan of god and this is representative of that a, t- a plan of god and that's how we i think look at this verse these verses out of philip uh, out of philemon he talks about uh, Timothy being a brother in the opening line. And he uses that word brother many times throughout the book of Philemon. And I think that that's an important word. We often, when we read the, the New Testament, that word brother is, and sister are, are used very frequently. And it's easy for us to kind of gloss over that. But I think what Paul is pointing out as well is that we as the church of God are the family of God. We're a family. I've only met you this first time, but we're a family. We can praise the Lord together. We can pray together. Those are not things that you do with your coworkers necessarily and it may not even be things that you do with your blood uh, blood family, your relatives. But we can pray together. We can praise God together. We can glorify God together. We're a family. And that's how Paul is presenting Onesimus to Philemon. He's a brother. Church is not a social club or a political organization knit together by common interests or shared hobbies. We are the household of God, a family of faith. And it's, I think it's fundamental to our standing in Christ that we are the family of God. So Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, Philemon, the main character in the letter, is encouraged to forgive this man that has caused him a great amount of hardship. Paul names a bunch of other folks uh, in the letter as well, and they are not insignificant. They're ordinary believers who, like us, are running the race. Might I suggest that their naming in the book, we talked about Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, lucas uh, that they're ordinary people that are used by god ordinary people are recognized by god but the god of the universe who made all that exists seen and unseen and how glorious is that which is seen can you imagine the glory of god in that which is beyond our senses galatians 3 28 says these are are, there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free man there is there is no one there is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and that to me is uh, a salient point in this letter let me close the point this is a personal message the letter through which Philemon as the main addressee is delivered to the house and the church and read, presumably aloud. is as if someone were to come in through those doors, come in and start reading a letter from Paul and everyone, it's addressed to one person but everybody in the room is hearing it. We don't know how Philemon responds, no record of it. We don't know. But I would venture to say that, uh, that Philemon accepted Onesimus back, and it's all speculation, but I'm basing that on his character, on his testimony. A love for the saints. We may be going through some issues relationally that, uh, that needs to be resolved. And uh, I think when we recall where we have come from, how we have been reconciled to God, and I think of that verse that I mentioned in Matthew where Jesus says 70 times seven And I thank God that he doesn't keep a record of the times that he's forgiven me and how we as well are to accept our brothers and sisters as children of God and forgive and reconcile as we together walk this path of serving Jesus Christ. And the bottom line in all of this is that God is glorified. That the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ would be a blessing to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you speak through your word. How you encourage us and guide us. We pray, Lord, that as we meditate upon these words penned by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would sink into our hearts and that the seed that you have planted would bear fruit and grow to your honor and glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.